Lord, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your word. We thank you for those that are here and those that will hear on the internet, Lord, that you will bless them special. And we think of the various people that need prayer, Lord, that you know who they are from the prayer guide and that you will be touching them. We ask for your leading and guiding as we look at the, the message for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ezra chapter 6. And uh, just to recap, chapter 4, we had the, the rulers on the, in the Jordan area making problems, telling, writing letters saying uh, that these people are troublemakers and don't, <laughs> you know, they're going to they're gonna hurt you. We had chapter 5 where, they, where the, the Jews wrote back and said, uh, check the records. We were told to come here by Cyrus. And now we're going to get to chapter 6. And so chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree. Oh, let's go back through. Remember that we said that he searched the records and he found out that Cyrus did make, a, make this uh, decree. So uh, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree and search was made of the house of the rolls where the treasure was laid up in Babylon. And it was found at Ar Achmethah, at the palace in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record. Was a record thus written: In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem: Let the house be built in the place where they offer sacrifice, and let the foundation thereof be strongly laid, and the height thereof three score or sixty cubits, and the breadth therefore sixty cub sixty cubits. With three rows of great stone and a row of new timber, and let the expense be given out of the king's house, and also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of the God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought into Babylon, be restored, and brought again to the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone to his place, and the place that is in the house of God. So he found the decree and this is the same decree that was written at the very beginning of the of the book where they were sent back and Cyrus and it said in his first year that he wrote this now Cyrus ruled for approximately 29 years and so we know more than 29 years has gone by because they're now talking to Darius and Darius came into rule eight years after Cyrus ended his rule so right now we're talking, we're already 37 years out when a minimum at this point because Darius is now saying, hey, you know, I got to look into this. And now we can understand why all this information was lost. This, this, this decree was made many, many years ago. And so Darius has nothing to do with it. He didn't make the decree. It was made at least 37 years before he's started even ruling and now he's getting all this you know all these back and forth you know decrees saying hey these guys are trouble no we were told to do this and so he's now found the record that shows yes they were told to do it and he found it i love the way it puts it it was made that a search was made of the house of the rolls we would call it the hall of records you know you went to city hall and get a record you know get your records and it was in the and it was in the city of Achmetha, which is was in the royal city of the Medo Persians, and later on became the summer home of the the monarchy when they moved when they moved the capital. 
So this was a special thing, and they're checking the records. They're checking the royal records. You know, tell me what's going on. You know, I want to know. And so this was a big deal for him, and they found the records. And I, and I love this. They, they found the records. He's having all these people giving troubles and giving back all the problems. And then he finds the record, and his response back to the rulers and governors on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 6. Now, therefore... Wait, before you do that, yes. the 60 uh, cubits and 60 cubits? About 90 feet. Foot and, foot and a half per cubit, generally. And we've covered this before. A cubit is anywhere from 12 inches to, to uh, 2 feet, but usually generally accepted 18 inches. It's the distance between the average right. elbow to fingertips, 18 in, give or take a give or take. So 18 is the usual number so that people will say. Okay. Yeah. Verse 6, now therefore Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Sethar Bosnai, and your companions with Afarsachites, which are beyond the river, be you far from thence. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, okay, so first he tells them, leave them alone. <laughs> Okay, you guys have been giving them a hard time. Stop. Moreover, I make, and this is Darius now speaking. So Darius is speaking. He says, Moreover, I make a decree that you should do to the elders of the Jews for the building of this house of God, that the king's good, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses are given unto these men, that they are not hindered. And that and that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offering of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are in Jerusalem, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons." So here is Darius's reply saying, quit making trouble, basically. And beyond that, give them whatever they need out of the tribute that you are supposed to send to Babylon. Uh, so this is a big deal because this is exactly, if you think back to chapter 4, this is exactly what they said would happen, that if you start, if you let them build this building, taxes will go down. And then Darius is saying, Cyrus said it, I'm going to follow it, give them what they need. Yes, the taxes are going to go down, but you're going to do this. Wow. And we look at what they're, what they're being... They're, God, he could have changed it around this, and changed the decree. Huh? This, oh, he could have done whatever he wanted at this time. So God is still touching Darius's heart yeah, in that. all of this. I see that. So Darius is following Cyrus, you know, had his name in the Bible, so he was, he was a big deal on this, and, but it's saying, you know, you know, let them build this thing. That's what they were told to do. Let them build this. And moreover, you're going to give them everything they need. <laughs> and not only what they need to make the building, but what they need to make the offerings. And so this is quite a deal. Darius is honoring God as well and saying, just give them what they need to make the sacrifices, realizing that they, to worship in the temple is a huge deal. And... He says, give them the, the, the bullocks, the, the, the oxen, the rams, the lambs, the, you know, 
wheat, salt, oil, oil, whatever they need, give them. So this is the preparation that God has done. And if you think back to Exodus when they built the tabernacle in the first place, who provided all the wealth for that was the Egyptians who they plundered on their way out. And when you look at the first temple, David took all this money, but he had taken it from the tributes of all the people that gave him tribute from all around. So each time that God's work has been done, it's been paid for quite a bit by God's enemies, the pagans and the, and the world. And God still does that quite frequently. He uses the world a lot of times to help finance and prepare for things for, for him. And he says, you know, this is, this is quite an interesting, let, let it thoroughly come from the tribute, from beyond the water, and, and the expenses will be given, will be paid to these men, and that they will not be hindered or made to cease. So this is a, this is a strong message from Darius. Darius is coming along and saying, we are not stopping. And you, and you keep looking at this. He says, you know, the building of this house of God. Okay. Now, he's not necessarily using the Jews word Yahweh for this, but he's recognizing that this is their God. And this is, this is very unusual for a king of a foreign country to allow a country, another people group to keep their God. Uh, and this is quite interesting. Caesar, uh, excuse me, Cyrus and Darius, they believe followed a mo mono, mono, monotheism in their beliefs. So that they had this kindred idea of belonging to this God. And you've got to remember that Abraham came from the Ur of the Chaldees, that, that area that, that these guys are ruling in, and left following God. So there is this whole idea of a tension in that area between the monotheistic group against the polytheistic group of Babylon. And there's always been that part. But this is now the Medo-Persians, which are a little south, and we believe that this group is also the group from the Medo-Persians that sent the wise man that visited Jesus. And because they were monotheistic, they were interested in the Jewish. There was an affinity. They were learning. Might have even been followers of the one God as well. We don't know completely. But they definitely were interested in the prophecies and the information from that, from, from that group. Herod wanted information from the wise guys, wise men, to... Kill Jesus. Yeah, he wanted to kill the pe kill the child, and so well, they had the, they had the vision from God and, and obeyed God. So this also is that. an indication that they were following after the one God. I also learned yesterday that they were outlaws because they were following the stars. They were uh, astrologers. Maybe. Uh, because there's also astronomy which names astronomy. the stars. Astronomy, I mean. Astronomy. Well, astronomy names the stars, and the names of the stars have a lot to do with the gospel message. I didn't mean astrology. Astronomy, and they were outlaws in those days. They were kind of like... You know, there's, there's vision. The astronomy has always been a big part of the gospel message. Astrology is Satan's counterfeit for true biblical astronomy. She, she said astronomy, not yeah. astrology. Yeah. They were outlaws because they were doing astronomy and like saying the world was round and everybody's seeing this flat. Mm, most most everybody, most every educated person in that day knew the world was round. 
the mathematics of it showed that it was round. The, the science of the astronomy showed it. Being astronomers, they were um, being looked at funny. And, and most of the most of the Babylonian, uh, Babylonian and Medo-Persians were very much into stargazing and watching the stars. And the the original names of the stars that have come from them really give the gospel message in it. So it's very interesting uh, that the stars the stars reveal this. So it's not a problem for me. It's a problem for some people, but not me. So here we are that, there, that he's made this decree. And then we see that he also puts a punishment in this decree. If, they, if these guys want to continue doing that, he goes, verse 11, and I have made it, also I have made a decree, decree that whosoever shall alter this decree, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hung thereon and let his house be made a dunghill and the God that has caused his name to dwell there destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem I Darius have made a decree let it be done with speed so his his punishment that he's going to say to these people is quite interesting he says if they're going to violate my degree and stop hinder these people, whoever does go to their house, tear, tear down lumber and hang them on it, which could be the forerunning of crucifixion because the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians did do crucifixions. Uh, not near as much as Rome, Rome did in Jesus' day, but they were the forerunners of putting people on, on crosses or Actually, they just put them up on sticks and hung them there for a while until they died. They didn't, you know, the, the Romans really uh, made it worse. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they studied it and they figured out the, the way to make people suffer for a long time. But uh, here we are, Darius is saying, hey, you want to you wanna go against my word, you're going to be hung. And you're going to be hung outside your house and your house is going to be the part that allows you to be hung. And then he says, and let their house be made a dunghill. And dunghill is kind of an interesting word. It literally brings out the idea that it is to be a vile place. It is to be a place, uh, one of the definitions of that is to literally be made an outhouse. <laughs> uh, you know, so it literally is talking about dung. And it's where they would throw, you know, throw all the the excrement, uh, you know, in that in that place, and he says, "Hey, we're just going to use it as a place for excrement. It's going to be, it's going to be violated. It's going to be a place that you can't live in." And so, this is a pretty strong punishment that he's saying. And we look at this, and their answer was that they they followed his uh, decree speedily. <laughs> they didn't they didn't de delay at all. But we look at this and he says, and, and the God that has caused his name to dwell there, you know, the God, and it's very interesting that he is lifting up. It doesn't indicate that it's his God or that he believes in this God, but he is very strong, the God of Jerusalem. Why he's, why he's being this, this uh, strong on it, we don't know exactly, because it's very interesting that he's lifting them up. It appears that we know that Nebuchadnezzar followed after that God, after God, because we have the section in Daniel where he wrote about his being humbled and 
and coming to mind. His son and grandson didn't follow after that God. Cyrus appears to be following after, you know, after that God because he's honoring him. And Darius at least is saying, hey, I don't know whether he's a God or not that I want to follow, but we're going to honor him. Yeah, yeah. So we're seeing that these people are saying, this is a special God. We don't know much about him. We're not sure that we want to. And it may be just one of those, we're going to cover all our bases and say, okay, we're, you're, we're going to honor this God and you know, be blessed by this God be, you know, if, he's, if he's real. In a volatile area. Uh, land, uh, volatile land. A volatile land, a very, you know, but it's, you know, the God that has caused his name to dwell there because they, they're, they're obviously he's aware of his record search has revealed a lot about Jerusalem and its history that, that according to the Jews that was God's land and his name was put on that, on that town and they didn't, they didn't hide it so he's just looking it up and here's this information he goes, Okay, their God especially kept his kingdom for a long time. Might even been able to go all the way back to Egypt and the destruction of Egypt and the ten plagues. You know, who knows how far back he went and how much he researched into this. But he's, he knows the history. He knows the long reign that they had of multiple kings. Probably very much knows the reign of David and Solomon where it was a great empire of that area. Because I can guarantee he would have known the empires of that area. I mean, he would have studied military history, and their their campaigns would have been part of that study. Because uh, even today we study. Doesn't matter whether we they're enemy or not. You study the campaigns of all the great campaigns to see what was good and bad. If you're into if you're into war. The art of war. Well, the art of war is a totally different book. Uh, Sun Tzu's book, uh, The Art of War, is a totally different uh, book, I and mean, he would not have been aware of that it's probably not, at that age. Probably not. It's, uh, it's, well, it's all it's it's a very good book for war, anyway, and everybody who studies war reads that book. But uh, at this point, they're not really in relationship with China because China has that ho huge mountain between them. They go to India, but they're probably aware of China, but there's not a whole lot of. So they studied the Israelite. They would have stored their, They would have stored, studied Egyptian wars, the the the, the Babylonian Empire's wars, the Assyrian Empire's wars. The, they would have. They would have probably studied David and Solomon and all the other. When you study, if you're into that field of study, you're going to study all the wars that you can get your hands on. What did they do right? What did they do wrong? And tear the wars apart, tear the battles apart, and learn from them. And I'm sure he was aware of all of this. So he's how much he was aware of all of the, the Jews' God, we don't know. But he's aware that this God has put his name on Jerusalem. His name is on, the, on, the, on that place. And he's honoring him. And we look at this, he's saying, uh, and I loved where he says in verse 10, you know, that they may offer the sweet sacrifices and sweet savors to the God of, to, unto the God of heaven, which is interesting that he says the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Because he had this idea that, you know, if, they, if we're going to be, we're going to be, gentle with them they're going to pray for us and, and keep us because they were still they weren't free okay they weren't free by being returned to jerusalem to make a new nation or anything but they were sent back to be able to worship their god they're still part of his kingdom they're still part of his rule they're just being allowed to go home and start their rule and i just love the way he puts this you know that you know that you're going to give them so that they can you know offer 
the offerings which are a sweet savor. He knows some things about Judaism, obviously, because this is the term that we use all the time in, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that the sacrifices were a sweet savor unto God. And this is not something you would think of. Burning flesh does not smell good to humans. And so this is not a term that you would use. It's a sweet savor. Uh, this is a, a term that's used all the time. And then he says, and, the, and pray for the, the life of the king and his son. So he's going, I'm going to allow them to worship, and they're going to come back, and they're going to pray for me. This is, this is a sweet thing about what he's looking at. He's looking at being kind to them and knowing or assuming that they will pray for him because of him being so nice to them. And this is what we are encouraged as Christians to do. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for our government. And, you know, one thing people want to say, well, you know, we hear people all the time, well, well they, when Paul was writing that, he didn't know about the government we had. Well, you think about the government he had. Now, he's saying pray for Caesar. And Caesar's out to kill the Christians. You know, he's praying for these people that are out to kill them, not just, not just make their life difficult, but to literally go and put them to death. And he's saying pray for these leaders. And so we as Christians are to pray for our leaders because God has appointed leaders. Whether we like them or not, whether they're good or bad, God has put them in place. They would not be rulers if he did not put them in place. And we look at what happened to the Israelites, the northern kingdom taken by the Assyrian Empire because of their rejection of God. God used Assyria to, to punish them. God used Babylon to punish the southern kingdom because of their disobedience. But then because of their harsh treatment of the people, God punished Babylon and brought in the Medo-Persian Empire, which sent, them back, sent many of them back home or gave them permission to go back home. So God uses even evil governments and evil kings, even evil rulers, he uses them to accomplish his purpose. And as we draw closer and closer to the end times, we're going to have more and more evil in our world because we're told that the end times are going to be as the days of Noah, where men did what was right in their own eyes and did evil continually and called evil good and good evil. And we're starting to see that happening in our, in our world all over the place. What God says is good, they're saying is evil. What God says is evil, they're saying is good. And it's getting worse and worse. And we're going to see the end. And that just means that more and more evil governments are going to start. Evil dictators, kings, rulers. And they're going to take over and they're going to be leading toward that one world government system. The one world system that, that is to the mark of the end times. And God is saying, it's coming. I've foretold it. It's going to be there. And we... And we as Christians, we can pray for good leaders, and, and God may give us good leaders. He, if we can see a repentance come, God will give us our leaders that we deserve for good, good repentance. But eventually there will come this time where God said, no more. We're headed, we're, we're there, we're going to complete this end times issue. And we're going to see it happen. And here Darius is saying, I'm going to be kind to these people. They're going to pray for me. And I love the way he says, and the king's sons. And so, in verse 13, Then Tatnai, governor of this side of the river, 
Shethar Boznai and their companions according, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so did they speedily. <laughs> they, did no, they did not bother them anymore. They've been harassing them for years. And, and when we get to Nehemiah, we're going to see how much they really harassed them over those years. But they've harassed them for, so far, uh, somewhere in, a, in the range of 43 years. Because I think this was the second year, second or third year of Darius. So we're talking right now about 40 years that they've been harassing these people as they're building the temple and the walls. And we're going to see that they're, they finally stopped because they're going, okay, now if we keep going, we're, we're in opposition to the current king. It was one thing, you know, during the, especially that eight-year gap between Cyrus and D Darius, they could harass them all they wanted because Cyrus was no longer in existence, and, and as long as the king didn't care, they could harass them. But now Darius has spoken and saying, <laughs> you know, if you harass them, I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna give orders to hang you with timber from your own house. So this is a huge deal that is going to go, that is happening. Verse 14, and the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the, of the God of Israel, according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. So they finished it like I said, approximately 43 years after they were commanded to start. So because Cyrus ruled from 559 B.C. to 530 B.C., and Darius is going to rule from 522 to B.C. to 486 B.C. Verse 16, And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the children of, of the captivity kept the dedication of the house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of the house of God a hundred bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and, a, and a, for a sin offering of, for all of Israel, 12 he-goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the, the priests in their division and the Levites by their, in their courses for the service of God, which was at Jerusalem, as it, was written, as it is written in the book of Moses. All right, so we're going to look at this. They, they finished the temple and they had a dedication service. And this was a big deal for them. The, the temple is open, and they and I love this. They kept the dedication of the house of God with joy. This was a joyous event for them. They have not been able to worship God in the temple, well, at this point for 113 years, approximately, because they were 70 years in captivity. The temple was destroyed when they were taken into captivity. So you've got 70 years. They're sent back. And it's about 43 years, so you've got 113 years that they've been waiting to be able to worship God in the temple. So this is a long time coming. And you've got to remember that for the Jews, you didn't just make a sacrifice anywhere. It had to be at the temple of God and done correctly with the Jew, with the, uh, the priests and with the Levites in attendance. And they knew that for salvation and for, for forgiveness of sins, the sacrifice had to be made on the altar. And every year the sin offering had to be made. And so this is a big deal. It's been 113 years so, since they could truly worship God in the way he's supposed to be worshiped. And so we have a huge deal here. 
and this the offering that they made, 100 bullocks or oxen, cows, uh, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and then I love this, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 he goats, one goat for each tribe that was out there. And they set the priest in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as was written in the book of Moses. Now in the book of Moses, we're told for the Levites what, they were, what their responsibilities were as far as who cared for the, the showbread, table of showbread, and the altars, and all of that stuff. And that's all going to be enumerated in, in the book of Leviticus, uh, Numbers, excuse me, as to what the, each of the Levites were responsible. The book of Leviticus was all about what the priests were responsible for. And in First Chronicles chapter 24, we read about when David got ready to, to set up the temple, he ordered the priests in divisions and the Levites in courses because there were so many priests that they couldn't have all the priests working all the time. So he split them up into 24 divisions and they would each serve for two weeks at a time. That was all their service was. And the Levites were broken up into singers and into people who did the, the mundane cleaning and, you know, and they had their jobs broken up by family. And so David did all of this, and this is all in, in First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, First Chronicles, chapter 24. And it's hard reading because it's like reading a genealogy because it's a long list of names, and they were assigned to this, this course, uh, this division, and this division, and this division, and and the Levites are assigned to different different jobs and all of that. So it's it's interesting, but yet it's hard to read because it's a long list of names. And what they're assigned. So just give that out for people to look at. And here it is. They're saying they divided the priest back up. Okay. I don't know how many priests there were at this time because there's not that many listed in that in that in the beginning of the book. But they are sent back. So the priests were set up in their divisions and their courses to serve God uh, again, so that, that not all of them would be there at the same time because there's just too many of too many to serve. And I love this as was written in the book of Moses. And we really haven't covered too much of this in, in the past, but the first five books of the, of the Bible were, are all written by Moses, and they're referred to just like this, the book of Moses. And they finally broke them up, and they would say, first book of Moses, second book of Moses, third book of Moses, fourth book of Moses, and fifth book of Moses. And they've also got their secondary names, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so you see the book of Moses or the Pentateuch or the books of Moses all referred to the same depending on where they are in their time frame. But again, here's a, here's a proof that Moses wrote this, the books of the, the first five books, the Pentateuch. And we have scholars nowadays trying to say, no, they didn't, but they're, they're not reading because they don't believe the word of God. They're not accepting the word of God's own, the word's testimony to the authenticity of those being the books of Moses. And this is, brings up a point to bring out. The Bible is the best tool to interpret the Bible. And if everything in the Bible has to match up and, and be verified. And, and it, it will give us the proof. If, and as I've said over and over again, the Bible has to be completely correct or it is a worthless book. 
Because if, I, if there's any part of it that's wrong, I cannot depend on anything because then I'm having to figure out what's wrong and what's right, and that's not where I want my faith to be and my persuasion to be, and it's got to be right. And I have found nothing where it's wrong, and it all ties together and verifies each other. It's, an, it's one of the most amazing books, written over 1,400 years by 40 authors, and it is a unified book. 40 authors, right? 40 authors. And it's amazing. The fact that it was written by so many people without contradiction is a, is a very powerful testimony that this is God's word. Because you can't take two or three books written by the same author on a topic and not find contradictions. And we're talking about the same author. And this is 40 different people writing without contradiction. And you definitely can't find two or three people writing on the same type of topic that won't contradict one another. You want to read books about discipline, you know, and you get two or three authors, they're all going to end up saying different things. You want to talk about marriage and, you know, from multiple authors, and you're going to have them saying, do this, no, don't do this, and do this, you know, and it's yes, contradictions right. all over the place. Different opinions. So the being that it is God's word that we want to look at. One thing I don't sure that I brought out, but in verse 14 it talked about uh, that the commandment to build the temple came from the God of Israel and Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, which to me is an amazing thing. This is God and three different kings that are commanding this temple to be built. So this is, this is powerful, powerful information as we look at it. Verse 19, And the children of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, for the priests and the Levites were purified together, all of them were pure, and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for the children of the priest, and for the brethren of the priest and for themselves, and the children of Israel that were come again out of the captivity, all of, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek after God did God of Israel did eat. So they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover on the day that it's supposed to be celebrated. The priests have purified themselves. They've offered the sacrifices. They've sanctified themselves. And it says that they killed the lambs. They killed the Passover, which is literally speaking of the lambs. And that goes all the way back into Exodus. You had to one lamb per so many people. And they're offering the Passover. The first time they've been able to offer the Passover, and again, at least 113 years, and probably more because those last kings weren't very godly kings, and so they weren't probably, weren't probably keeping the Passover. And this is, it's very amazing as you read the, book of, the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you start seeing the offering of the sacrifices and the offering of the Passover and how big a deal it is when you get a good king that starts that process again. So many times the Jews did not practice worshiping God the way they were supposed to. So many times the temple in Jerusalem had become a junk house. They just threw, threw all the storage stuff in there and, and a good king would have to come along and clean out, the, clean out the, the temple so that it could be used for the worship of God. And it was such a sad thing when you start reading through these books and you see those times when they were they spent months cleaning it which tells you how bad it got and all the stuff they have to clean out of it but here they are 
celebrating the Passover. And the Passover to them was one of the great, great feasts because it celebrated what God had done to bring them out of Egypt and make them a nation. Still to this day, Passover is a big deal for the Jews because it celebrates their, their becoming a nation. It's almost the same for us as America, the 4th of July celebration. We are, we're a nation and this is our day to celebrate that we became a nation. This is Passover. You know, and it's sad that that's what they look at it. They look at it only as the day they became a nation and were delivered when really it is the idea of salvation and protection of the firstborn from being killed as God delivered. And a picture of Jesus being the sacrifice for Passover and bringing people out of death into salvation because of his death, he paid for their price and, and freed them to become his nation. And we as Christians get to participate in that by accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice for our sins that deserve punishment, we're able to become a member of his nation a peculiar people, a holy nation that serves God. And so important that salvation is in here and they're celebrating Passover, that celebration of the deliverance, the celebration of Jesus, the Passover lamb, dying on Passover as the, as the, as the provision of salvation. And then in verse 22, they did eat the Passover on verse 21 and verse 22 and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them and strengthened their hands in the work of the house of God. So they celebrated Passover and then the feast of unleavened bread and that is the, the days after Passover to the, to the first Sabbath day, and then that Sunday is the Feast of First Fruits, where the resurrection, the, the church start, uh, Pentecost where the church start for the resurrection, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, First Fruits. So they're, they're ready now, they're celebrating, they're celebrating the first three here, so Feasts of the Spring Feast that we've talked about in other sessions, but they're starting to celebrate with God. They're bringing God, worship of God back the way he said to bring it, and they're doing it with joy. And this is something for us as Christians. When we worship God, it should be with joy. It should be with excitement. And this is the way we should be coming to, to church and just Bible studies and spending time with other Christians. It should be with great joy and excitement. We are serving God. We're doing it His way. It shouldn't be drudgery. And you look at sometimes when people come to church and you look at their faces and it's like, wow, what? You're, you're this miserable to come serve God. You know, there's no joy in their face. There's no excitement. And God is saying, come with excitement. Come with joy. You're get, we're getting to worship God together as a body of Christ. And it should be an exciting time. It should be joyful. There should be smiles on people's face. There should be a great excitement about serving God at that point in time. And we're seeing it here with the people. They finally got their temple. It's been a long time, over a century. And they're able to come together and serve God in great praise and admonition. And it was, all, it was helped to be done by their enemies. Yeah. And you think about this. In verse 4, we've got, we've got the governors and everybody trying to make life difficult for the Jews as their enemies, and they just get Darius to come back and say, oh, 
We're supposed to be helping them. Get busy helping them. <laughs> you know, the enemies brought God's favor back upon them. And we see this happening quite frequently in the, in the world. The, the Egyptians helped to build the temp, uh, get the tabernacle built by giving them the money when they left. We see all of this over and over where so often things happen that, that brings great movements of God. We see the, the churches leaving Europe to come to the United States to, to start so they can worship God. And then we see a government form that design, designed to be able to lift God up in its early creation and bring the evangelism. We see the early schools on the East Coast, of great, the great Ivy League schools in the East Coast that were seminaries in their founding. And their job was to teach men to be pastors and missionaries how far they have fallen how far this country has fallen from the country that really emphasized the evangelism. Printed Bibles, the first Congress printed Bibles for, to give to the people because they knew the foundation of this country was in God's morality and God's teaching. So they printed Bibles so that every house would have a Bible. They, they paid for missionaries to go to evangelize Indians. All the stuff that the early, early government did to make life better for people by getting God's word preached. And we see how far this country has fallen to the place where God is kicked out, where God is not only kicked out at the federal government level, but they're misapplying the, misapplying the, the Constitution and applying it to states and, and local governments and saying, you can't do anything. And, the, and because it very clearly says, Congress shall make no laws restricting religion. And last time I looked, school districts and, and state, state houses and, and local mayors were not part of Congress. But our government, our, especially the Supreme Court, has, who can't read, <laughs> has interpreted things totally different from the way they were written. And it literally is that they can't read. <laughs> now, they can't read the plain text and, and push things into the plain text that doesn't fit there. And this country has gone downhill in all of its practices and God is being kicked out and we're going to see the judgment of God upon this country because he's being kicked out and he's going to say fine I've been blessing this country I will no longer bless this country and we're going to see more and more evil prevailing in this country but we're seeing it all around the world and it just goes to show that we're at the end times and we will see more and more of this pressure coming in let's go ahead and close in prayer Lord, we just thank you for this day. We, we thank you for the rain and the, the storms, Lord. We need the, we need the water and the, on the land. We, we do ask that tomorrow that you give us a break for the parade so we can pass out the, the tracts and the, and the New Testaments and that many will be here so that we can give out all the 546 bags that have been presented and, and then let it rain as much as you want after the parade. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>